Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Red Rabbit Insurance. As a real estate investor, I love working with companies and people who truly understand investing. If you're a real estate investor, I highly suggest talking to Ryan at Red Rabbit Insurance. Red Rabbit specializes in working with investors of all sizes, both for their personal residence, auto, and investment properties. Red Rabbit recently saved one of our investors $5,000 a year by switching to the exact same coverage. That's a down payment on a new rental. I personally saved 15% by switching to Red Rabbit, which is pretty significant. And Red Rabbit Insurance makes it super easy to get a quote. All you need is the address, your full name, and your date of birth. No annoying questionnaires to fill out and Red Rabbit gets you a quote in less than a day. Email ryan at redrabbitinsurance.com or go to the website redrabbitinsurance.com or call 1-800-560-3015. That's redrabbitinsurance.com. Call today to save some money and get better insurance rates for your investments. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Hackers Podcast. I'm Chad Gallagher and I'm excited. Our guest today is actually a longtime friend Someone we've known in the industry for a while, first time on the podcast. Anna Kelly, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be your guest, Chad. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, it's always more fun to interview people that you've known for a while because you don't have to prep as much for the story we're going right. to tell. Uh, I feel like I've actually lived through the story. Um, so, I, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking about this interview we're going to be having, and I, I went back to a conversation we had maybe two, three years ago. We were getting lunch, and I remember you um, were asking me, man, I've got a full-time job. I'm a real estate investor. When when can I stop having a job? <laughs> something, or something like that. Yeah. When did you know it was time to leave right. your job? Um, so why don't you just take everyone first through kind of, you know, what the last four or five years, is that about five years you've been investing? Is that I've about I've been right? investing um, in real estate off and on for 20 years, investing oh, wow. in rental properties, small rentals in PA for 12, Okay, and then got really serious and aggressive five years ago. Okay. Okay. I've known you for about five. I didn't know there's actually a previous mm -hmm. history to that. So were you doing like some flipping and stuff? I've done flips. Um, I, I bought, I house hacked my first property here in PA, which was a four unit apartment building. Okay. And we bought a commercial space for my husband to practice in where we inherited tenants. So oh, I was wow. thrown into, you know, rental property investing right when we moved here, um, then bought another one. And then the economy crashed and couldn't buy anything for a long time. And mm -hmm. uh, just like five years ago said, you know, we've got a lot of equities in these buildings. We learned through sweat equity. We had flipped a couple. We had you know, done the Burr method and cash out refi, kept the rentals. 
um, and then kept using the equity to buy more. And then five years ago, I said, okay, I, I can do this. It's pretty lucrative. I just have to figure out a creative way to start buying more. Mm -hmm. And then five years ago, got like aggressive to a plan to create my exit from the corporate job. It's awesome. I mean, well, it's interesting. It's almost like a tale of two stories, right? It's like, the, I guess your first four and in real estate kind of a commercial property, some other stuff. The crash happened. You you probably saw your values drop quickly mm -hmm. um, and then kind of regrouped. And it's interesting. We talked to a lot of people who at that point would have never gone back. They would have said, <laughs> real estate's not for me, which I hate it when people say real estate's not for me. Yeah. I hate it because I think what they're really saying is my first approach wasn't for me. Right. Right. right? There's so many ways to make money in real estate. And like you, you're so well-rounded in different things that you're doing because yeah. there's just so much opportunity. You just got to find what's the right niche for you at that time. And if that's not the right niche, you find another one. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, it's so true. And, and there's a lot of stuff in real estate we like. We don't flip homes. I mean, I don't. I don't, I don't anymore. <laughs> yeah, really. You totally only get... on occasion. Yeah. I'm actually. Yeah. I just I just know. listed my second flip from this year, but it'll probably be the last one I ever do. <laughs> yeah, I, you say that. I somehow it tells me. Uh, the thing I, is, once you build up enough cash of passive cash flow that you don't ever have to do another deal just to get chunks of cash. It's right. just not as attractive yeah. as buying oh, much yeah. larger multifamily yeah. and having it be much more passive. Okay, so so five years ago you got serious, and your plan was, and this time you had a full time job, yes, um, a family, a very I'm sure a very demanding family. That four took kids, up all your four kids, right? Mm -hmm. And so, what was that? What that plan looked like? What did did you in your head? Was this all scoped out, or was it? Hey, I want to just focus on one property at a time. How how'd you kind of think about that? I had 12 units five years ago, okay. and I knew that I had been able to buy them at a price point where if I continued to buy them below market and that needed a lot of work, I would get the best deal. And I, I'm a firm believer that you make the money on the buy. So I was like, okay, where can I most quickly produce the quickest and largest amount of cash flow? And in my area, the sweet spot was four-unit apartment buildings because there was too much competition from flippers and retail on the singles. I didn't have enough time or money to buy the bigger ones. And I didn't know much about creative financing and other people's time and money or syndication at that point. Mm -hmm. So all I knew was having four unit buildings and they were um, in abundance in my area. There weren't a lot of investors going after them. They sat for a long time. They were ugly and needed a lot of work. And we just said, hey, we'll just, uh, we've done some flips and rehab. We'll do one unit at a time, raise the value and do it. So that's what I knew. So that's what I put into my plan. And I basically said, I need 12 more units a year at at least $300 a month net after expenses, mortgage, and everything. And that'll get me to the point where I'd have a six-figure passive income within five years. So I just planned 12 units a year, however I could find them that that met that you know income threshold That's would awesome. get me there. That's awesome. Uh, so, uh, man, so you're juggling a couple of things. I'm sure there were some days that were tougher than others. Right? Many, <laughs> most. <laughs> um, can you talk to her a little bit about, I think one thing I, I want to spend a little time on is the, um, I mean, obviously you had the right mindset. Obviously you work hard, but also um, I guess like how did you, you self-manage these properties while having a full-time job and a family. That's something that would have like scared a lot of people. Talk me through that kind of a little bit of some of the, I think you are telling me a little before, you actually use like Excel macros to do a lot of the management. Yes. Um, talk me through like how you 
set that up. Your maybe how your background in financing helped a little there. Sure. So one thing I'll just say, you know, looking back, you learn the hard way what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so what I did in the beginning isn't necessarily how I would do it today. And I've become much more systematized than at the time. So at the time, I didn't know what I was doing really. I knew um, finance and I understood rental property and I read lots of books on, you know, how to force appreciation and do all of that and some general principles on managing our properties. So my husband was fairly handy and he would do some of the rehab stuff. And then we got to know the local contractors were well to handle that piece. So I basically had to learn um, the rules and, you know, regulations around Pennsylvania and leases and dealing with tenants and how to evict and what, how much rents I could raise. And so I learned all the, like the finance stuff. And then I just started with a spreadsheet because all I had at that point was 12 units and three buildings. Yeah. I had one LLC and the other two properties were in my name. And so as I started to scale and I created additional LLCs, then I needed new bank accounts. I needed to be able to create a P&L I needed to be able to balance my checkbook for each account and track all the rents that came in on each tenant, where I spent, you know, CapEx, which at the time I didn't even know the difference between CapEx and maintenance or repairs costs. And I just created categories in my spreadsheet that every time I'd log a um, plumbing repair, I would tag it as a 14 and call it, you know, de minimis or repairs or whatever. So I had like a category in Excel for every in and out. Mm -hmm. And then that allowed me to have a roll up for a P&L and a roll up to give to my accountant to do the, ta the uh, taxes. Um, and I just did everything myself, kind of creating tabs in a spreadsheet that tracked income and expenses, leases, lease expiration dates, maintenance requests, everything I needed. And I looked at it every single day to make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah. So that's how I started with no systems, just Excel. And then as I went on and as I grew more and more, it was like this is becoming overwhelming with all these different properties and LLCs and tenants and what tools are out there that can help me to, to not have to do it all. Um, until I go with property management. Yeah. I mean, I think the cool thing is, uh, you know, sometimes using third-party tech or third-party property management is great, but there there is some advantage to building something from the ground up is it forces you to understand the business in a different way. Yes. And so I sometimes I encourage people, if, if you're up for the challenge um, and if the property is local and something's kind of going in your favor – there's actually something, some really good benefits to starting off doing your own work, and and then also kind of creating your own systems and stuff from 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 scratch. You know, even just the act of creating the different buckets to put things mm -hmm. in probably helped you understand the business on a level that maybe some people don't actually right. understand. And I think too, because I handled, I worked for AIG Life Insurance Company for 20 years. I handled audits, state insurance department audits. I had to go into SAP and look at our books and figure out how they you know, got to certain numbers and where they pulled to the financial statements. And so I was like in numbers and spreadsheets for years as part of my day job. So I already kind of was financially minded and understood accounting principles. Yeah. And that did, you know, definitely help me a lot in being able to build that. Where some people, if, if you're going to have a challenge anywhere with software and you don't want to mess it up and you don't have the background, you probably want to at least use a good accounting software and not try to build that part on your own. Right. You know, right. you can track lease expirations and that kind of stuff on your own, you know, or maintenance requests easily in Excel for, you know, up to certain number of units. But it's that that um, accounting stuff that becomes much more complicated. I think that you were I just, saying you use QuickBooks for your accounting. Is that right? Um, I did. I still don't use QuickBooks. Oh, okay. I'm in the middle of starting to move that direction. Okay. One of the things when 
the challenge that I've had just as a, as a mom and working full-time and really building this more full-time hours over the last couple of years in my building my business than I worked in my 40-hour weekday job, yeah. like for 10 years. So there's all these things that I knew, I need to systematize this. I need to figure out how to change this. But I didn't even have the time to really do that when I was so focused on, here's the deal, I got to finance the deal, I got to get tenants and we got to rehab. Like you get so busy just doing it yeah. that there's certain things that, you know, I should have taken some time and said, enough, I can't buy another one for the next three months, I got to systematize this. Right. And there were a few things in painful moments that I just had to do. Yeah. But I knew I needed to systematize things a lot sooner. I just didn't have the time to think through it and figure out yeah. like QuickBooks. You know, I did, you're going to laugh and I, I can't believe I'm even saying it, but I did my own accounting for until last year. Wow. Because I understand accounting and I yeah. wanted to know that I was doing it right and making decisions that had tax preferential benefits mm -hmm. um, and that I was wise with it. But I I had so many LLCs. I was starting to develop some partnerships on like one-off deals that I knew it was too complicated and I was spending more time on it than I should. And I finally said, okay, what's the real value of my time? How many hours am I really spending here right. versus how much I make per hour by finding and funding a deal. Yeah. And it was like ridiculous the number of months that I worked late nights to get all the accounting perfect. And I finally was like, okay, I just need to finally go back to the accountant. And in fact, when I started with them, you know, I, I did my own, own through TurboTax because we had no money. We had the crash and we were like negative net worth and, you know, like we can figure this out on TurboTax. <laughs> then when I came back to him, he's like, how did you go from all this negative to like multi-million dollar real estate investor in five years? Because he hadn't seen my accounting. Oh, but awesome. now I'll never do my accounting again. It yeah. was like the best thing I ever did. So he's like, you really need to go to QuickBooks. So I said, listen, I'm retiring in May. This summer, I need the summer just to be with my kids and really enjoy that financial freedom we've made. And then as soon as they're back in school, I will work by the end of this year to get all my stuff in QuickBooks so that by the end of the year, it's there. So I'm still working through learning how to you know, hack the systems and the technology on things that I know I need to systematize that, quite frankly, I haven't had the time to yeah. do before. I mean, I think what I love is – so look, there's, there's many ways to skin a cat in real estate, right? And I, I don't think there's just one approach. Um, I mean, so, you know, to kind of play the story through – you did some investing in real estate. The crash happened. You had essentially negative net worth. Yes. Right? Properties that were worth less on paper than what you own. Or well, we started a business in 07 with $700,000 in debt. So, Not smart. So, right. And, uh, <laughs> and then did away with your accountant. Basically just went to a very basic minimalistic spreadsheet approach using the accounting that you did understand. Mm -hmm. Right? Playing to kind of your strengths, which is understanding accounting, understanding spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, over the course of five years, build a business that you could retire off of. Yes. It's amazing. Thank you. I mean, it's, it really is amazing. I think it's almost – it almost would be less amazing had you I – think, I think what's great about it is just the using what you're good at. And like I was saying, you know, some people kind of say like, you know, real estate's not for me. Instead, you said, look, real estate could be for me. Let's go at what I'm good at. When I'm good as accounting, I'm good at Excel. I'm good at knowing – local central Pennsylvania four-unit buildings, mm -hmm. and let's just go win in that space. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just a firm believer in finding the niche that works best for you and making no excuses. You know, I don't have to have it all figured out to get started. And I think people are either, either they take too much risk and they quit their job before they have any idea what they're doing, and that's when they lose the shirt, you know, their shirts when the economy collapses, 
or it's all this analysis paralysis. You read all these books, you go to these events, and you think, I have to have all the systems in place before I get started. You'll never do anything. So I knew, like, I need to just capitalize on when the, where the opportunities are. And if it comes up, I'll figure it out as I go. And that's really helped me a lot. That's awesome. Um, did someone help teach you uh, along the way? Were you kind of self, you're self-taught? I mean, learn as you go. Probably a little bit of Google and YouTube along the way. Completely learn as we go. I mean, I will say, you know, my first job after college, I worked for Bank of America and I went through getting securities training and licenses and learning about finance. And so even though I had a degree in business management and had accounting and finance, I never really thought much about it. I didn't learn personal finance or real estate for sure, but I understood um, financial principles. And so I really just made decisions to do rental property based on its extra cash flow. It's not smart to move to a rural area where I might not have a job in three months and my husband's starting with lots of debt. So I better figure out some way to cover our expenses. So we house hacked and, you know, property building hacked. So it was just, it started just as a way to to try to be as financially wise as we could in taking a lot of risks to start a business. And then it just grew from, you know, this is, we've done it with a couple units. We've had tenants, but hey, it's pretty nice to have this extra cash flow that if I lose my job, we can at least have our living expenses covered and gas and food. And so I just thought of it as an extra income stream. And then when I started buying a couple small rentals, I started reading books on making millions in multifamily real estate. And I'm like, I want to go all into straight to the big stuff. Well, the economic collapse happened and no bank would lend me money. You know, I had no experience. So no one wanted to partner on big stuff. So I just had to figure out like, how can I do this on a small scale and learn all the skills that I need now so that one day when the economy turns, because I did think about economics, um, and one day when I build up enough passive in the small stuff, I'll be prepared and able to scale on the big stuff. So uh, I just had that mindset that you got to get in, you got to learn some way, figure it out. And and the ultimate goal was always the cash flow. Um, and so those were the quickest way for me to develop that passive income with what I knew. That's awesome. Can you, I know from having known you, I know you bought properties a couple different ways along the way. Yeah. Um, you seem kind of always be, uh, I don't know, always on the lookout for a deal. Um, is there some story that comes to mind that is, is kind of just a, a property that you bought of a deal that you found from just a very unconventional means, I guess, of finding a, a property? Sure. Um, all kinds. But I think the one that was definitely like the most creative and hard to get done, um, sometimes not just finding it, but figuring out how to fund it and close it, is I bought a beach house, my second beach house in Ocean City, Maryland on auction.com, or it was zone.com, one of those online auctions. And there was a um, investor who had bought three in a development of 10 in 07 at the height of the economy. They went through bankruptcy, went through a divorce, and she was in foreclosure on all three. Well, we had put an offer on one of them before the other two came into foreclosure, and we lost it under contract through a short sale. So as soon as it came up on the auction, my realtor, who knows he's not getting paid on a listing, said, you know what? I see this is coming on an auction. You should take a look. So I came down to Ocean City, looked at it, and said, this property can be worth at least 570, 580, and it doesn't need that much work because it was built in 07. So we had to furnish it and whatnot. I went down to my basement literally during a hurt, a, a tornado uh, warning with my kids, and the auction was right then. And I'm like, I can't lose power. <laughs> I gotta win this beach house. It's got 200 grand in it, you know. And so I didn't know how I was gonna fund it. Um, I lost it. 
and was so bummed. And about a month later, so, Zone so you, called you, you me. You say lost it. Someone else outbid Someone you. outbid me. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. did have a top, you know. Right. Someone outbid me. And it said cash only, no financing. And I knew I didn't have the cash, but I was like, eh, if I can get it, I'll, I'll figure, figure it out. out. Yeah. So um, they called me a month later and said, you were the next highest bidder. Do you want it? And I said, well, I wouldn't have paid this much, but the only bidder that couldn't perform was outbidding me. So I'll take it if you'll give it to me for 20000 less. And they said, okay. Oh my they God. had to get an exception, yeah, yeah. but they said, okay. And then I said, well, I need another exception. You said cash only, but I have a mortgage company that I know can fund it. They've already, I've already talked to them about it. Will you make an exception? Oh, we never allow mortgages because they could fall through. And mm -hmm. these foreclosures that are condos at the beach um, – they are hard to finance because they don't meet Fannie Mae's guidelines um, with how many um, properties are in foreclosure and all of that, the health of the HOA. And I just said, if you can get me an exception, I can get it financed. And I was like, you're not going to find another buyer that's going to pay cash, you know, right now. And they Probably. made an exception and they allowed me to, you know, get it cheaper and then get the mortgage. Well, then when I went to try to finance it, no bank would do it. Like they <laughs> don't, wanted don't to go. Don't worry. <laughs> Financing isn't a problem. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, the one that was going to do it, was it's a small regional bank there in Ocean City, Maryland, and they were uncomfortable that I was an out-of-state investor. So even though I was referred to them by the realtor and they said they could do it, then one of the board members was like, no, we're not going to deal with any more out-of-state investors. So it was like tons of hoops to to get lots and lots of no's before I finally got a yes. And we had to do a lot of creative stuff. I had to write a letter how much I wanted the house and second home for was my it a family. Local bank who you ended up a regional uh, well, a regional broker who actually did take it and get it through Fannie Mae financing through yeah. lots of exceptions. Oh, I so I learned so much on that deal. I got a great deal. It was very kind of off the wall. And every step along the way was exception, 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 exception. But I just stuck with it. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to get this thing done. And awesome. I was able to finance it. So Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I think one thing is like people talk about like real estate being passive investing. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I think like the, the more I get into real estate, I think like, I mean, if you're going to put money into a deal where it truly is passive, right? You're investing in someone else's syndication, or you're investing in, you know, a winery that Josh is running, Josh yeah. McCallan or whatever, that's passive. But I mean, if you're like what you're doing, I, that's not passive. Right. And I think one thing I love is that you, you didn't really sign up for passive, right? You're, right. You're saying I'm going to make this happen in this case. Yeah, I mean, because you have two ways to do it. If you already have cash, then sure, you can invest passively. It's no different than investing in the stock market to invest in an LLC syndication of an right, apartment building. Right. I had no money. I had negative money. <laughs> so the amazing thing about real estate is you can have none and not be able to invest passively, but you have to be able to realize that the passive income you can generate is built through the blood, sweat, and tears of the active income. Yeah. So I've had 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears, really five years of like beyond blood, sweat, and tears yeah. to get to this point. But because we bought them rough, we put in so much sweat equity into them because we didn't have cash. We were able to raise the value so much and nothing goes wrong with those buildings anymore. So now it truly is like 90% passive because we've made those buildings turnkey. I'm in an amazing area where I hardly have any tenant turnover. My average vacancy is 2% over 10 years. Wow. And so because of my awesome. level of clientele and where I'm investing, it's just easier. So for me, that's become you know significantly more passive than it was in the beginning. And now I've got lots of chunks of cash. I was able to give up my day job. And now I have cash where I can put together bigger syndications. And as soon as I get 
acquisition fees or money from that. It's all gravy. And now I can invest passively in other people's deals, yeah. and I do. Right. So I'm I'm becoming much more selective and doing things that are much more passive, like scaling the multifamily. Um, passive once you find and fund and finance the deal. Like I'm still asset managing, so there's daily involvement to make sure the operation's running. Yeah. But I no longer have to show up at midnight and paint an apartment because the person trashed it, didn't move out yeah. till 11, and someone's moving in at 9 a.m., you yeah. know? So um, you have a progression of, of what you're willing to do. and But doing the hard work up, work up front is really what's enabled me, you know, the – the wealth and the means to be yeah, able to become awesome. more passive later. I remember the the paying thing reminds me of. Um, so I I had a full time job when I first started investing in real estate, and uh, I um, the third house that Nate and I bought, we uh, Nate had lined up a tenant the next day after closing. So mm-hmm. the, one of the tricks that we do is when we have something under agreement. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we'll start yes. trying to find tenants while it's under agreement. Absolutely. And and we encourage um, buyers to do this. You, you know, you usually need to get the sellers okay. And and most of them are okay with it. I mean, they don't really care. Uh, you kind of talk them through everything and, hey, we'll get them a lease and everything. Um, but then we had them moving in the day after closing, which was fine, except I guess we forgot the house needed to be painted. (laughs) And so we closed at like five, we get the keys, we walk in and then, you know, tenants moving in next morning at nine. And so literally Nate and I went to Home Depot, got some paintbrushes and I had worked a full week. I was exhausted, you know, Friday, six o'clock. My friends from work at all, all, they're all at happy hour. And here I am at my passive investing operation. Um, And then my, my favorite part of the story was we actually didn't have a light so there was, I guess. Oh. I have so been there. I kid you not. <laughs> like the electric was getting turned on the next day. And so I, um, Nate was like, what are we going to do? So I remember I walked across the street and there's this 85-year-old grandmother sitting on her porch. And I just, I said, look, I don't know how to say this, but I need a battery-powered lamp really badly. <laughs> it's like 8 o'clock at night. I've got three rooms painted. Yeah. I need to paint two more. Uh-huh. I, I'll pay you 10 bucks and I promise I'll return it. And she laughed. It wouldn't take my money and just said, I can't even imagine what you're doing, <laughs> but God bless you. Wow. <laughs> I, it's I amazing think, that you found one. Yeah. And we they, had to steal like neighbor's power with extension cords yeah. into like a big light in the middle of the night before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's one of the things that I, I seem to be okay at kind of talking people through things. Right. And in this case, that was playing to my strength. And uh, <laughs> we got back to painting, you know, took us to like midnight, uh, tenant moved the next day. You know, ten had no idea yeah. that we just bought this thing and we just painted it. And, you know, they so said, oh, funny. man, everything looks really nice. Fresh coat of paint looks great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just, don't, just don't touch it. It's still yeah. trying. <laughs> you know? But that's how you learn, you know? Yeah. I, I, anyway, long story short was, I think I went into this thinking, man, it'd be great to do some passive investing. And I think that you just got to be careful that – uh, you know, it all depends on what you're investing in. But if you're the one who is actively driving it, and especially if you're the man, the, the manager for it, that, that isn't passive investing, no, right? No, it's not. And by the way, that's a great thing. You can make a lot of money. You obviously did. Amazing story. Five years to go from basically negative net worth to be able to retire from your job, spend more time with your family, two beach houses, a couple hundred units. I mean, I don't even know how many units you have. Yeah. It's a lot, right? Yeah. Amazing story. Um, but man, it, it wasn't just, uh, it didn't just happen. Right, right. And the first four years, it was like 60 units. You know, now I've I've done some bigger stuff and done JVs. And so 
Um, you know, I've got like 200 units, another 250 under contract, and another 100 about to be hunted. But it all happens, it escalates very quickly. So once you build it and then you build the systems and then the cash flow is coming, that enables you to, you know, start scaling yeah, much but more quickly I think, later. I mean, much of your story to me traces back to one, just having the guts to mm -hmm. go from an, basically a negative net worth, but <laughs> not to run from real estate, but lean right. into it. Um, but then two, I just, I really think that as I hear your story, really the nuts and bolts for you of having the Excel macro set up. So you like knew that business. One thing I'm always struggling about you is that you just knew, know the business inside and out at a mm -hmm. level that most people don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes people, you know, they just look at that check that came in at the end of the month, but they don't really understand what is going on here, the good and the bad. Right. 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 And so I think, uh, I love that, and I, I think if people could replicate that by creating, whether it's through Excel or whatever your system ends up being, I think there's a lot of power in having really granular when you first start Yes. to know the business so well so that when you get to a point where you start to hand stuff off to other people, you kind of don't take BS from anyone. Right. Because right? you're like, look, I, I know how this should be done. I did it for right. five years. Right. right. And uh, that's awesome. Makes me a pain too, huh? <laughs> Um, so I think uh, it's interesting. A lot of uh, internally, sometimes we talk. Uh, um, a lot of our bigger clients uh, are very much type A. They're very much driven, and so it all depends on how you look at the coin. They, sure. you know. Um, but then the way I look at it is like that's what got them there, and, yeah. and that's what makes them a great partner for mm -hmm. us, a great investor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't have any. Uh, I think there's I actually have more a lot of respect for that because I think that's what you know makes people great investors. If you're not willing to kind of understand the details, the nuances of investing, yeah. it's tough to ever. And it does make you appreciate it more when you do start to be able to give some of that off and be able to hire great property managers and be able to buy you know bigger stuff where you've got someone else that's doing that for you. Like you've got an on-site PM or you've got on-site maintenance people. Like you just start to appreciate it, but you know it so well that you can become a better asset manager. And then it, it prepares you to be able to to do bigger things later because of what you've learned and, and done on your own for a while. So you uh, retired in May. So mm -hmm. we're in September now. So about four months ago, you retired. Happy retirement. Thank you. Um, what does... Uh, What's the next five years look like? Is there a five-year plan from here? <laughs> you know, Chad, I, I'm such a planner, and I have had everything planned out forever. Um, but I'm finally at the place, which is, you know, the real goal of everybody, to get to the point of financial freedom, where you don't have to have it all figured out anymore. We're at the place where, you know, over the summer, I wanted to grow, and I'm still driven. And now I'm like, okay, what can I do next? How can I have a better, bigger impact? Like, how can I buy complexes where I'm going in and making a difference in those communities, like mm -hmm. in the lives of the kids, you know, mentor programs and um, school supplies and people coming in and helping the, those communities? And I just think, how can I do that and not just, not just take the easy road and sit back in retirement? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I've planned so much and worked 80 hours a week really for 12 years between my husband's business and mine that I'm kind of at a place where I wanted to just be able to this summer like sit back and just learn to be and enjoy what it's like to not have to do anything that I don't want to do. And it's a really awkward place because I feel very driven like, okay, deals are coming. I'm I'm, you know, I have a women's group and I have a, a, a Facebook group that I'm trying to help with. And then I've got people that want me to coach them and I'm finding multifamily deals. And then my kids are home for the summer. And so it's like, there's a lot of good things that you can do. I'm trying to figure out what is like 
the That's one or two things that are the best thing for me to do so that at four o'clock for the first time in my life, when my kids walk in the door, I'm just wife and mom. I don't have to worry about the next deal. I'm not going to work till 11 o'clock at night every night anymore. Like I'm going to be as efficient and effective as I can in the six hours a day that I'm going to work. And if an emergency comes up or a great deal, you know, a great deal came in, we've been negotiating a PSA till 11 o'clock last night. Like you're going to take those nights that you're going to do it. But what's happening and what I think would be beneficial for your listeners is as I'm able to sit back and say, wow, now I've got time. How can I systematize and streamline the, the two main income streams that I've got in the most efficient way so that my six hours a day is all doing stuff that I love? And what can I start outsourcing um, so that I can truly live passive and truly have complete control of my day and of my night? So I'm working on systems. I'm working on looking at some other softwares where it's all been on Excel. You know, we were talking like maybe I start going to QuickBooks and some different things like that. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what I enjoy most, what's the best use of my time, the most high dollar activities, and what's going to create the least amount of stress. So I no longer have a, a goal of I need a thousand units by next year or I need five more buildings. Like my needs are well beyond met. So now I can sit back and go, where's an opportunity? Is that one a great fit for my family? Like what kind of level of active income and time is it going to take me to commit to this deal for five or 10 years? And is it one that I'm going to have fun doing and enjoy? And if it's a great fit, I'm going to do it. And if it's not, I'm going to go, you know what? I'm not desperate to do it. I don't have to, and I'm yeah. not going to. So my goal for the next five years is to system systematize and streamline my six hours a day so that I can work efficiently on whatever I enjoy and love. And however big that grows, it grows. I'm still the same driven person. I'm still going to, like, maximize my time and time block. And, uh, you know, I have targets for grow in my health and grow in my multifamily and grow in the syndication and, you know, grow in these different areas. But I no longer have a, a numeric goal that I feel like I have to meet. It's really all about just growth and enjoying life and enjoying what I'm doing. Well, first of all, that sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> sign me up. Uh, <laughs> sounds great. I, I'm sure there's lots of people who are saying, I mean, so much of what I love about your story is it's so relatable. I mean, mm -hmm. the struggles are relatable. The passion to spend more time with your family is relatable. Um, and then, frankly, just the um, what do I want to do with my life? One of my best friends is, is considering walking away from his job um, sooner rather than later. And we were having a conversation of what do you, what do, you do next? Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and all – I mean, there's so many options out there. But I think it's, it's super um, rewarding for someone to say to have the choice. Yeah. To not have to do what the world tells them they got to do. Right. But to instead make that decision. And I think, man, I think the sooner everyone can make that, so every day they wake up choosing what they want to do on a daily basis, the, mm -hmm. the most passionate about, it's a big win. Yeah, uh, for It's a sure. great, great way to live life. Hopefully everyone lives life that way. Yeah. Whether you're in real estate or not in real estate. Yeah. Um, and now the challenge is I'm so used to being a workaholic that how do I say no to, to lots of good things, yeah. but not try to create a whole bunch of new businesses just because- <laughs> New jobs. <laughs> I, you know, I think new income streams, you know, <laughs> what could I do with this? What could I do with this? Because I'm still a visionary and I'm I still know. driven, but it's like, okay, I got to scale back. And what's most important? What did I work so hard for? Yeah. And, and let's put that first for the first time yeah. and then w build my business around my lifestyle instead of like having to fit my lifestyle in with trying to build my business, yeah. you know? It's awesome. So, uh, I don't know, we're having a conference, April 2020. It's called the Real Estate Investors uh, Next Generation of Real Estate. Uh, I, 
are you game for coming to hang out with us at the conference? I'm game. I'm right. excited to be there with so you. So we're going to have you be a speaker. Awesome. Uh, I, I think, I mean, this is just the the tip of the iceberg of your story. There's lots that we didn't even get into. But I think a lot of people will want to hear the story of how to be a successful real estate investor while having a full-time job, while having a family, four kids. I mean, the mm-hmm. list goes on and on and on, <laughs> right? And uh, not having some superpower to only sleep two hours a night. How do you do it? And you pulled it off. And so I can't wait to have you speak there. You're so motivating to so many people. Thank you. Uh, and by the way, we didn't even talk about this, but a lot of people still think real estate's like this old white man's club of people, <laughs> which is like totally BS. And you just fly in the face of that too. So uh, it's awesome. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. This has been great. I'm sure the listeners love this. And April 2020, I can't wait to have you in person at the conference, uh, on stage, talking more to everybody. Thank you. I'm excited about it. Love what you're doing and can't wait to be able to help and inspire others. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.